Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from nine on 2FM. Now, I want to ask you a question. How does your personality type affect your relationship? Is there even such a thing as a personality type? I haven't a clue. That's why we need to speak to our relationship expert and psychotherapist, Rachel Cook. She is here to talk introverts, extroverts and all that kind of stuff. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing, Jen? I'm good. We're staying away from the sexy stuff um, for the last couple of weeks and just delving into the world of relationships, which is really an interesting way to go. And we're going to talk about this. Now, introverts and extroverts might not always understand each other. Is it more difficult for them than it is for a couple who are both uh, one or the other? What do you think? Yeah, um, well, I would say, you know, no matter what, it's going to depend on the couple. There's always going to be ways that you really click and get each other, ways that you feel quite different and, and certain parts of your lives that you feel and your personalities that you feel are too similar, which can become dull. So I would say there's going to be a certain set of, of, of kind of challenges when you have uh, one introvert and one extrovert in a relationship that you're not going to find when people are both the same. Why do extroverts struggle when their partner is is quiet and just needs a bit of space and they tend to see it as a kind of rejection? Yeah, so basically this is about different ways of people feeling kind of met and stimulated and connected and restored. So the original meaning of these two terms of introvert and extrovert is about where you draw your energy from. So, you know, whether that's being alone uh, which in the, is in the case of an introvert, generally you get more energy and stimulation and kind of recharge your batteries by being alone. Or if you're an extrovert, uh, you get your energy from being by by being around people. But it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily tell you how um, outgoing that person is, because you can actually have very sociable introverts. It just means that they they tend to get their energy from being alone. Okay. But generally, you'll find that extroverts feel stimulated and recharged by having kind of more more frequency of interaction with people. They seek more kind of breadth of knowledge rather than maybe depth. Uh, and they like doing things, whereas introverts are filled up by being more one-to-one or alone and doing more kind of thinking and feeling rather than kind of take, you know, actions together or activities. So basically, extroverts can experience um, their kind of bids for connection with their introvert partners as being rejected um, when, you know, an introvert friend or partner or whatever just doesn't have the bandwidth for those interactions. So, yeah, it's very common. OK, I'm just going to back up for that. a second, because I yeah. think a lot of people listen to this are trying to figure out what they are. Right. Yeah. Initially, I thought I'm an extrovert. You know, look at the job right. that I do when I'm at a party, how I act, all that kind of I'm definitely an extrovert. However, yeah. In your first sentence, I just realized I'm an introvert because I draw my energy from being alone. I I thrive in that. I crave that alone time. And I have and then my husband Lao, um, I mean, on the face of it, he's an extrovert, but you know, he's also an extrovert, uh, true and true, because he thrives and gets his energy from being around people and noise and chaos and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So it's really interesting you say this. So wherever you feel you you draw your energy, that's how you can define if you're an introvert or, or an extrovert. Well, so that was the original meaning of the words, but they have become in kind of pop psychology or more popular culture to mean the thing that you just described, where you could describe both of you as extroverts, but just in different ways. But the original meaning was about where you draw your energy, which can be a bit confusing, but it can be helpful if you're talking about well, it's not confusing. Someone- 
It just, that was very yes, clear, I thought. <laughs> never simple, Jen. Never oh, straightforward. It's never no that straightforward. Thing. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about in relationships. So yeah. if you have different personalities, um, how can the need... <laughs> I literally just had this conversation off air with someone. How can the need to be alone be difficult for a partner to understand? Well, look, so, so society expects couples um, on one hand to do everything together and yes. do everything to each other. But then we also have a culture that's very individualist, um, you know, and we're kind of talking a lot more about boundaries and the ways in which we don't have to necessarily, you know, live together, spend all of our time together, be expected to get on with each other in every way. So these are quite conflicting messages. But I think you're going to find that some people have more want more contact um, and that's where they kind of feel more safe and comforted and reassured. And then other people who don't. And so part of this is going to be down to context. You know, you just gave the example there of yourself and Lau. Mm. And I would imagine that part of that is to do with, you know, maybe if you had generally more alone time in your in your life, then you wouldn't crave it because you would just have it and that need would be met. So, you know, part of it is going to be circumstantial. I know you're saying that probably yeah. you and some similarities in, in that way. Um, and he still craves more kind of like togetherness with with people. With anybody. But, uh, he can't be alone, Rachel. <laughs> Well, there you thing. go. He hates being on his own. I love being on my own. Well, and that's that is to do with kind of I think there can be like a polarizing effect with that as well, right? The more you also are around people a lot. You've got kids. You've got a you know a husband. You have lots of friends and family and and things to be going to. So it's not like you get to have a huge amount of alone time, I imagine. Mm. So it's also going to make it quite uh you know well romanticized or you know exciting to be able to have it because there's so little of it available. So that's also, I would say, kind of contextual for that. But yeah, I think, you know, some people just have a much, they feel much more kind of um, at ease, comfortable, relaxed when they're around people. And that doesn't necessarily have to be doing loads of talking, although for some people it is. And for others, even though they love spending time with their friends and family, they just need to be able to have time completely alone. And, you know, sometimes that is in silence as well, or sometimes it's that they want to be watching TV on their own or listening to music. But it's just really different, you know, different strokes for different folks. What if our, what if we perceive our kid to be an introvert? Should it, is that something we can work on from now, or should we even try and change them, so to speak? Definitely not. You know, the thing that is is still associated with being introverted is this idea idea that it inherently means kind of socially inept. Um, or that sort of quietness is yeah. wrong. And, you know, if someone is experiencing incredible amounts of social anxiety, then obviously that's a very, very draining and stressful for them. So that is something to look at. But often when we talk about someone being introverted, it's just that we're probably more extroverted. And also we live in a society that still values extroverts more. And so we might see it as being a bad, a bad thing when often that child is just very happy getting on. They have their own fantasy world. They like being with their books. Maybe they're interested in being with kind of animals and nature Mm -hmm. and doing their thing and they just don't necessarily want to be doing tons of talking and interacting with other kids or or even adults and that's okay and that's okay what is the likelihood though that uh, these kind of labels introvert expert and all that kind of stuff are nonsense and just people react differently to different situations depending on what is actually going on in their lives (laughs) You know, I think it's actually quite likely that we're seeing more and more that all of these labels, you know, well, like with any label, whether that's a kind of, you know, mental health diagnosis or, you know, personality test or even things like horoscopes. These are all just 
frameworks to help us understand ourselves better, but they are incredibly, you know, circumstantial, contextual. A lot of these frameworks have been been developed in, you know, by by white people in Western society. Often it's been by, you know, kind of middle class white men who've been developing, you know, kind of psychology and stuff as well, which is not to say that there's something inherently wrong with that. It's just that it doesn't take into account the very diverse experiences of different kinds of peoples, whether that's sexuality, gender, culture, race, all sorts of things. Um, so I would say you have to take all these things with a pinch of salt. If you really like using, I don't know, tarot cards or you see horoscopes as being important in your life and it makes sense to you, then great. But also, you know, be careful about pushing that onto other people, just like these things that are seen as very kind of scientific. It's like, well, science appears as fact until we learn new stuff and then it changes. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, there you go. Very, very true. OK, um, somebody sent in a question about attachment types. OK. Uh, what, what are attachment types and, and where do they come from? Um, okay, so attachment types are basically, um, you know, they affect how we relate to other people and how we re- tend to respond to closeness and intimacy. So there can be some crossover with introversion, and extroversion to some degree here. But basically, our attachment styles come from our early life interactions. That can be with our caregivers, you know, so which can be parents, but that can also be to do with our relationships with our siblings. It could be family, friends, childminders, teachers, and also other kids our age. Um, so it comes from lots of stuff. But basically, we have four, currently, it's seen as uh, we, that we have four main attachment styles, and they tell us about how we sort of relate to each other. So the four types that we have are secure, which is apparently about half of people. And then we have anxious, which is, uh, you know, roughly kind of 20%, avoidant, which is roughly 20%. And then you have the last type, which is disorganized, which is about 10% of people. So those are styles of relating and having relationships that develop as kids and then tend to, uh, you know, kind of um, linger into our adulthood. But they can also change over time and they can be different with different people in our lives. Okay, can we start with anxious attachment? Can you just elaborate on that? Yeah. So basically that tends to develop when you have a preoccupied caregiver, which for most people was still a mother. Mothers always get the blame still because mostly it's still mothers doing the vast majority of the parenting. Um, And so, you know, that's basically where, let's say, a mother was very preoccupied. That might be because she had a lot of anxiety herself. Maybe she didn't have a lot of support. Maybe she was bringing up multiple children and so wasn't able to be very consistent with that child. And so that leads to, as an adult, often that you'll find that you're quite maybe clingy in your relationships. You might really, really fear kind of abandonment um, and you might need a lot of reassurance and, and be kind of, you know, frightened that a lot of the time that your partner is going to leave you. So that's that's the okay. anxious type of attachment. avoidant attachment. Yeah. So avoidant attachment tends to be that your caregiver wasn't very warm or available. So they might have been quite neglectful. Doesn't have to mean that they were abusive necessarily, but that they were probably quite emotionally neglectful um, and, you know, just weren't really available to you as a kid. So you learned to not really expect that you were going to be kind of picked up if you cried or soothed or whatever. So you basically learn as an adult to not really express your emotions. You're probably going to have a lot of difficulty expressing your emotions. You're going to tend to to emotionally withdraw from others and feel suffocated in a relationship very easily. And you're going to find it very difficult to ask for help or support and probably going to prefer more casual relationships. And so we also see a bit of a connection gender wise here 
because it's you know although it can be any gender that has any any um attachment style um that we tend to have a society in the west in ireland in you know in europe certainly where um men tend to be socialized to be more kind of withdrawn and um ex, you know kind of self-sufficient um, and so they tend to be a bit more avoidant. And then you have women who come across as much more kind of invested in their relationships mm. and wanting reassurance. There's lots of, you know, aspects to that. Uh, Disorganised attachment doesn't sound promising. What's that about? No. So this is basically it incorporates characteristics of both anxious and avoidant. And it basically happens when a child has grown up with quite severe neglect or abuse in their childhood. So in their adulthood, they're very likely to both massively fear rejection and abandonment but really really want closeness and intimacy as well so that's a real struggle because it's kind of this push-pull effect where they're pulling away but also coming really close as well and so they often have a lot of shame and low self-worth and so you know a lot of people probably recognize from this it's very unlikely that you're just going to fully see yourself as fitting into one type and that's it um, but that you might find that you have much more common type in maybe your your romantic relationships and then maybe you're much more, you know, maybe you're anxious in your romantic relationships, but much more secure in your friendships. Um, so that can be good to look at as well. This generally not just one type. If you're a caregiver, you have a lot to answer for. <laughs> I've you taken have from all of that. Of Don't mess up your kids. Uh, if you're going to take anything from today's therapy session, because uh, there's uh, it, it's a tricky place to navigate. But can I ask you, just lastly, how accepted is this attachment theory? And, and can you make life just that black and white in terms of how you relate to people? Definitely not. You know, again, this is just one framework which can help us make sense of ourselves and the world. But it's really context contextual when we take into account that so many of the cultures and countries in this world are still very collectivist. And, you know, Ireland, the UK, lots of other places in the West are much more individualist. And so, you know, that's also going to affect what we would um, kind of define as things like codependency, where that might something might be seen as incredibly codependent in our culture and society. But in other parts of the world, that would be seen as totally normal because, of course, you you kind of rely much more on your family and your community. Um, so we have to be careful about kind of being prescriptive about this stuff because it's more just like lenses through which to understand yourself and, you know, have a better life than it is kind of fact. Two things I've taken from this therapy session. Firstly, uh, don't mess up your kids if you're a caregiver. And second of all, it's okay to want alone time. You're not crazy or being unreasonable and you might just draw your energy from that. And uh, thank you, Rachel, for this. I feel like I need to lie down or something. Uh, Rachel, we'll chat to you next week. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Rachel Cook is on Instagram at Rachel Jane Cook. She's back with us next week. If there's anything you would like her to discuss, sex, relationship, whatever you like, get in touch by emailing jenatorshi.ie where my team of minions work around the clock to get what we need to make this show absolutely amazing. Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9 on 2FM.